I have been away for almost six months, but I'm back. So I took what was supposed to be a small pause of this podcast to spend more time on my church history podcast. In April, I planned on taking a pause just until the end of the summer, and I stretched that out a little longer than I planned since we're mid-October now. But during that time, I hope you've been able to listen to the church history podcast. I am hoping to be doing this one again with a new episode each Monday. I'm hoping, let's see if that happens. So what have I been up to over the last few months? Well, with the shutdowns, my husband's work was a bit unpredictable, as he works in the restaurant industry, so I took some extra work to make sure we would not have to take any money from the government. I actually worked doing grocery shopping for people. There's always a way to find a hustle. In the meantime, I am also working to grow my production company. I've been very blessed to be able to spend time editing podcasts for other people, and also recording and editing audiobooks. By the way, if you're looking for someone to record an audiobook, I would love to help you with that. Since I am able to be home more now, I'm hoping to be able to get two podcasts out a week, this one and my church history one. I'll be honest, I've sat down to do this podcast many times, and the reason I've not done it is that I am really, really angry. Really, really, really angry. And I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is not being done out of anger. But I am angry. So I promise to try and not have angry rants. Going to try. Now this podcast looks into the history behind what is the news. And definitely, we do have some history to look at. Over the next few weeks, I have quite a few stories I'm working on with some important history for us to know that will help us understand what's happening today. Today we're going to look at something that seems like a weird, unrelated history, but stick with me on this one. On March 22, 1995, the United States Supreme Court heard the case of Martinez v. Lamingo. Now, Martinez was injured in an accident and also had property damage in the accident. The cause of the accident was a man named Lamingo. Now, the accident happened in Colombia, but Lamengo was an American federal employee working at the time. The U.S. attorney wrote a letter stating that Lamengo was working for the U.S. federal government at the time of the accident. Normally, when this happens, the federal employee is not sued. Instead, the U.S. government is sued. However, since this happened outside the U.S., it fell into a legal loophole and the U.S. could not be sued. The lawyer for Martinez was trying to find a way to make Lamingo go to court and be allowed to put his name, not the U.S., on the case file. The case came down to one word, shall. Here is what the law said. Upon certification by the Attorney General, any civil action or proceeding shall be deemed an action against the United States, and the United States shall be substituted as the party defendant. The court decided that the word shall has a legal definition of may, not must, meaning the government was allowed to substitute the U.S. for the defendant, but was not required to. This meant that in the U.S., the word shall would now be interpreted as may. I will have a link to this case in the show notes. The U.S. government has been very clear about this. Here is what the government website says. 
Use must, not shall, to impose requirements. Shall is ambiguous and rarely occurs in everyday conversation. The legal community is moving to a strong preference for must as the clearest way to express a requirement or obligation. Now, that was happening in America. Here in Canada, lawyers began to talk about what this means here in Canada. In 2011, a columnist named Robert Lane Green wrote that he believed Canada should do the same. Australia and the UK both changed shall to must. And then Canada did. Here's what the official Canadian government website says. The auxiliary shall is not to be used because of its legalistic tone, its rarity in Canadian English outside legal documents, and the multiple meanings that have been ascribed to it in legislative texts. There are several ways to draft prohibitions. X must not, a person must not, it is prohibited to, it is prohibited for anyone to, everyone is prohibited from, may not or no person may, must not be used to create prohibitions. May, in the positive, was quite a different meaning from shall or must. However, the meaning of these words in common usage is more or less the same when they are made negative, that something is forbidden. Now, why is this little piece of weird history related to your life today? Well, here in Ontario, we have a law that has been written. It's the rules for stage three. Let me read some of this to you and see if anything jumps out. The person responsible for a business or organization that is open shall ensure that any person in the indoor area of the premises or the business or organization or in a vehicle that is operating as part of the business or organization wears a mask or face covering in a manner that covers their mouth, nose, and chin. Any word jump out? Yeah, shall. Let me read the beginning again. The person responsible for business or organization that is open shall ensure. I have a link to the whole document in the show notes. The interesting thing is that sometimes the word must is used and sometimes the word shall is used. However, the word shall means may. And when it comes to masks, the word shall is what is used. From what I can find, there has not been any businesses that have been charged for people not wearing a mask in their business. If you know of any case, let me know. But as long as the word shall is used, it means may, not must. Meanwhile, let me read something else from the government website. And I'm quoting here. Face coverings will not stop you from getting COVID-19 and may help protect others. Medical masks should be reserved for use by healthcare workers and first responders. So, for today, that's my little history behind the news. And I'm working on some more stories that you will want to subscribe to make sure you don't miss. So to end, I'm going to share some thoughts that I have over the last few months. The question is, what do Christians do during this time? Well, let me tell you a little history story. The year is 1877. The people of Minnesota are on the brink of starvation. A plague of locusts has been killing their crops for 30 years. They're actually not locusts, but grasshoppers. However, the people of Minnesota call them locusts because they devour crops the way locusts did in the Bible story of Exodus. They got into houses and even ate clothes. And in the year of 1877, people noticed a lot of eggs, more than ever before, and they realized there would be no food again this year. They had to do something. Over the last years, governors had tried to help by giving relief to the people, but the people didn't want money from the government. They wanted to grow their crops. 
This year, they had a new governor, Governor Hillsbury. The governor came up with a solution. It was actually a genius idea, and one they should have tried 30 years earlier, and one I think we could use today with our problems. Governor Hillsbury decided that April 26, 1877, would be a day of prayer. Not just a day of prayer, it would be very specific. Every single business would be closed for the day, and every single church would be open. The people would go and meet in the church, and they would pray. But they wouldn't pray for an end to the grasshoppers. No, they would pray for humility, and they would pray for forgiveness for their sins. They would confess their sins and humbly ask God to heal their land. So they did it on that day. And the very next day, an extreme heat came. The sun was so bright, and the heat was like the middle of the summer, not an April heat. As the heat came, the grasshopper eggs came to the surface and began to hatch. In just one day, suddenly, there was grasshoppers everywhere. It seemed like the opposite of what they had asked for had happened. Instead of an answer to prayers, it looked worse than the day they had prayed. But then, suddenly, the heat disappeared, and a cold wind hit. People who were standing outside in the heat rushed inside. And then the rain began to fall. And then the rain turned to ice, and every single grasshopper was frozen or drowned. They were all killed, every single one of them. The crops were saved, and they had a great year. To this day, Minnesota has not had a plague of locusts or grasshoppers return. We serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. The same God who parted the Red Sea in the story of Exodus, who saved the crops in Minnesota, is the same God we serve today. God says that if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. First, I know that God was talking about the nation of Israel here. He's not talking about Canada or America. However, We know that this verse shows who God is, what his character is. And even though this is not a promise given to the church, I do believe that it is who God is. So, the church, we need to, one, humble ourselves. That is something I don't think we, the Western church, even know how to do. In fact, I think a lot of the churches were closed or are still closed or have major restrictions because they don't want people to look down on them. I personally believe it has a lot more to do with pride than anything else. Look at us. We're a good progressive church. See, we got our face masks on and everything. Our church for decades has been run like a business, with the congregation being customers. We have to have our comfy seats, our good coffee, and an entertaining show. The preacher is going to give us a message about how we can have a better life. No mention of sin. That isn't a word we're going to hear. We definitely got rid of the altar call. So to start, we need to preach about sin and bring back the altar. And then we need to go to the altar, confess our sins, and ask God for forgiveness. Once we've humbled ourselves, we can go to the next phase, pray and seek God's face. When is the last time you truly could say that you were seeking God's face? What does that mean? It means we want to be in the presence of God. But his face is a more personal way of being in God's presence. If you're in the same room as someone, that's being in the presence of someone. 
But when you are face to face with someone, you see them in a more personal way. You really get to know someone when you sit face to face with someone. So we need to pray in a way where we're not satisfied with just knowing that God is with us. We want to be face to face with him in the sense that we want to know God, know everything about him and know him in a personal way. And then we need to turn from our wicked ways. Remember, this verse is talking about God's people who are called by his name. We, the church, need to turn from our wicked ways. We need a complete overhaul. We're supposed to be a family. But here in Canada, our churches are more like businesses. We're corporate churches. What does that mean? Well, in our church history podcast right now, we're talking about the Puritans. The Puritans wanted to overhaul the Church of England. They wanted to go back to what the church was supposed to be. They wanted anything that was not part of the church we find in the Bible to be gone. They wanted the Bible preached from the pulpit in depth. They didn't want weak, shallow preaching. They encouraged family devotions by showing the men in the home how to lead family devotions. They pushed families to read a chapter from the Old Testament and a chapter from the New Testament every day. They prayed together. If you want to know more about the Puritans, I'm going to put a link to the Church History Podcast in the show notes. But I think we need to look to the Puritans and what the Puritans did with the Church of England. So we need to humble ourselves. We need to seek his face. We need to pray. We need to turn from our wicked ways. And then God will hear us. And then God will heal the land. We've done basically the opposite of that. Over the next few weeks, we're going to try to have a Monday morning episode. In the meantime, for more podcasts, such as my church history podcast, and some other interesting ones you'll find on my website, go to lauraleesiemens.com. You'll also find some videos and blogs. And I will see you next week. Next week.